Hey guys, Pastor Ben. Thank you for joining us here on FCC Online. We are truly thankful and appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen to our messages. One thing that I do want to encourage you to do is as you're watching these, please don't allow these to be your primary resource in your spiritual journey and your walk with Jesus. Keep these as a supplement to what you do on a weekly basis from the gathering, uh, being connected, being part of a life of a local church body. We want these to bless you. We want these messages and these videos to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But please do not allow these to replace anything that you have to do with a local church body. With that, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be looking at a passage today and the message entitled, To the Uttermost. To the Uttermost. So it's Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to be reading verses 25 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 28. Verse 25 begins, Consequently, or therefore, in some of your translations, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. I love the way that verse 25 begins. That he is able to save to the uttermost. Now when we look at the word uttermost, I looked up the definition this week and there's three things that I kind of want to show us. It means completely. So saving to the uttermost means that Christ saves you completely. Like there is not one area or one portion or pocket of your life or your history that he leaves behind. When he saves you, he is able to save you completely, no matter what. At all times, there aren't just certain times that God will forgive you, that he's able to forgive you. Like he's limited in his forgiveness in certain hours of the day. Now, I sleep with my phone beside my bed. Ring her on just in case of an emergency. If you call me middle of the night, I'm going to respond to you, unless I just sleep through it, but you may not get the sharpest version of Ben at that time. The response that you receive at that moment may not be the same response you were to receive at like 3 p.m., which if I have the ability, there's a good chance I may be asleep in my recliner at that 3 also. But Christ, there's never a time that his ability wanes or increases in his ableness 
to save you and to forgive you and to be there for you and to listen to you and to respond to you. And then lastly, to the extreme. There's no sin that's too great. There's no sin that's too vile. There's nothing that you can do that is more powerful than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? There is nothing, there is no sin in your life that is more powerful than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What the enemy wants to do is convince you that what you have done, that it's too great, it's too costly, there's no way it can happen, that you've just gone too far. And if you allow him to plant that seed and you begin to water that seed of doubt and fear in your life, what you have just done is you have allowed a work of the enemy to become more powerful than the blood of Jesus in your life. God wants you to understand, wants us to know that he is able to save us and there's no extreme that's too far. There's no situation that's gone beyond his reach. There is nothing that's more powerful than the forgiveness and the ability to save of Jesus Christ. So maybe for some of you 90s folks, which I am one of, I'm going to get a massive eye roll and maybe a sigh from Carrick Dyer on this, and I'm prepared for it. Prepared for it. Maybe the next time, that you start singing the epic song, Ice Ice Baby, by Vanilla Ice, you can say, to the uttermost, I rock a mic like a vandal. Okay, never mind, I digress on that. So let's look at this, okay? I want us to look primarily at verse 25, and I want us to look at salvation. Now, this passage would be really easy for us to kind of get into some soteriology here, or some, the, the, the doctrine of salvation, and that's not what we're doing here this morning, because we're not going to have the conversation of, are we, is, is salvation eternal, eternal security, can you lose it? Okay, again, that's one of those things that there's time for that conversation, there's a place for that conversation. We're going to focus in this morning on Jesus and his salvation and the way that it impacts our lives and what we see from verse 25 and what it teaches us. But I want to introduce this thought to you this morning because we're not going to truly grasp the weight of this passage of Scripture if we don't have a basic understanding that salvation is not static. Salvation is dynamic. Let me, let, me, let me explain that a little bit to you. Salvation is far more than in my life. On December 31st, 1989, I responded to God's call on my heart and gave my heart, surrendered my heart to Him as Lord and Savior. That was my moment of salvation. And many of you can go back to the place, the time, the location, what was going on. And track that back to when you responded and surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. And yes, that is part of salvation, but that's not what it's all encompassed with. 
It's not a one-time event. It's not a, I was saved on New Year's Eve 1989, and now I'm just cruising along waiting on heaven, waiting on the end of this life. No, salvation is dynamic. It's something that's ongoing. Now, it doesn't begin without that moment. Understand that. But it doesn't cease there either. And what we're going to see in this passage is not only salvation dynamic on our part, it's dynamic on his part as well. Jesus' salvation didn't stop in our lives with his death, burial, and resurrection. You're not here this morning and saved because maybe at Howes Mill Camp when you were 13, you gave your heart to Jesus and were baptized and boom, that was it. That's not what it's all about. Track with me for just a minute. Don't, don't get too offended right up front, okay? Track with me for just a minute. That was critical. That was crucial. That was the salvific moment in your life. But our salvation does not cease there because it's ongoing. It is a daily thing. It is something that I must make sure that I am posturing myself towards each and every day. And we'll see that here in just a few minutes. But I want us to understand this morning that salvation is not static as far as it, it happens and then we wait. It's dynamic in that it is ongoing each and every moment of our lives. So I want us to look at three areas of verse 25 that will help us to understand this maybe a little bit better. And the first area that's found in 25 is that he is able. Christ is able. Ephesians 3.20 talks about he is able and he will complete in us. He is able to finish or he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or imagine. God is able in your life today to do exceedingly, abundantly, more and greater than you ever thought possible. And so many times this passage out of Ephesians 3 gets boiled down to kind of a prosperity promise. Like, well, he's, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask or imagine in my finances or in my relationship or in my job or in this situation or in this area of my life. God is, and that very well can be true, but never lose sight of the fact that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine, because I would have never imagined that he could take this dead, lowly sinner and speak life into me and promise me eternity in heaven with him. If he ever, never does anything more for me in my life, he has done exceedingly, abundantly, more than I could ever ask or imagine, and he has done more than I've ever deserved. By saving my soul, by him being able to look at me and go, December 31st, 1989, Little young Ben, head full of hair that wasn't gray. I'm taking that. I want him. I'm choosing him. And he puts this on my heart. I respond to the conviction of Holy Spirit in my heart. And I surrender my life to him. Exceedingly, abundantly, 
more than I could ever ask or imagine. And why? Because he is able. He is able. Now, this second part is going to be the part of the dynamic salvation that we're responsible for. Again, we can't earn our salvation. We can't qualify ourselves for salvation. We can't do anything, say anything, be anything good enough that's going to God just to go, oh, look, well, you did that. Good for you. Come on in. But God in his sovereignty has said that there's part of this that you play as well. And that second part is found in verse 25 when it says that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So who is Jesus able to save to the uttermost? Those who draw near to him. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 begins to tell us that the Spirit of the Lord is Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all stand with unveiled faces before Him as in a mirror, being transformed from glory to glory. That's a powerful passage of Scripture when you begin to think about it. Because what it's saying is that as we draw nearer unto him, as we continually, day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation, begin to draw near to God, then we begin to see not only God clearer, but we begin to see our purpose in God clearer as well. Think about looking in a mirror for just a minute. I'll allow some of us to shudder. All right, now, we're looking in a mirror. And if you stand away from the mirror, the further you stand away from a mirror, the less of the image you're going to see. Like, there's not a lot of detail there. You'll be able to look. You'll be able to see what it is. You'll be able to see that reflection. But, like, have any of you ever gotten, like, really close in front of a well-lit mirror? Yeah, it's like, you kind of feel like Shrek. You know, whenever it's revealed to the one, like, hey, this is me. This, you know, whenever he takes off the helmet and Fiona sees him and she's expecting Prince Charming and he just kind of looks and goes. I may have nailed the Shrek face a little too well. That's all. No, but I mean, that's kind of like what we see. Like when we get really close, you're like, huh. And there's one thing, we've got cameras in here. These are really nice cameras. And one thing that we have talked about is what level of shot that we want on these things. And I'm all good as long as it doesn't like get close because y'all don't need to see this in HD. <laughs> but the closer that we get to the mirror image, the more detail we see. The more imperfections we see the more impurities we see but the thing about it is is when we look with unveiled faces nothing to hide us nothing to come between us and God when we draw close to him when we draw unto him then we begin to not only see who he is more clearly but we begin to see who he has created and designed us to be have you ever felt like you're playing a guessing game with that like God what is my purpose what am I here for? What do you want me to do? 
You know, the answer in the revelation of that question is draw close. James talks about that he draws nigh, he draws close to those who draw nigh unto him. So who is Jesus able to save to the uttermost? Those that draw near to God through him. And the third area of verse 25 this morning is that he always lives. Let's look at this passage. It says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So if we're talking about dynamic salvation, we just covered that our responsibility, what God has sovereignly chose for us to do in this salvation equation here, is that we draw near to him through Jesus Christ. But Jesus has something that he's doing as well. See, one of the things I think that we're really good about doing as a church, and this is on me, okay, this is one of those mirror reflections I had this week on me, is I think that we're really good about talking about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, as well we should be, amen? Like the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection, that's a big deal. We need to be focused on that. But sometimes I think that we're guilty of not talking about the ongoing work of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus isn't just sitting statically at the right hand of the Father in heaven waiting for him to say, go back and get him. He's making intercession on our behalf. I would that you would not sin at all, little children. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father. And that's what he's talking about right here, that he lives to make intercession for you and I. You know, I was thinking this week, what are some of the most comforting words that I can hear? And... and it, out of the handful that I, I settled on, one of them was to hear the words from a trusted and reliable brother or sister in Christ, to hear them say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Now, let, let's just be transparent. Have you ever, has anybody ever said that to you and maybe they're not the most trustworthy or safest source? I'm praying for you, and in your head, you're going, I'm not sure if I want that. <laughs> or, I doubt it. But what comes out of our mouths is, thank you. Like, but to honestly know that someone that is trustworthy, that is reliable, that is safe, that is invested in your life, looks at you and goes, I'm praying for you. That touches my heart. That encourages me. Now think about this. Take the most reliable, most trustworthy person that you could think of in your life that would say, I'm praying for you, and put them in a comparison situation with Jesus Christ. Because that's what he's saying, right? Like, he always lives to make intercession. How much more encouraging can it get than the Son, Jesus, God himself, who came, lived innocently, died a false, horrible death 
that rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who's making intercession now on our behalf, who will return victoriously for his bride, looks at us and goes, I'm praying for you. Like, that don't bless you, your blesser's broken, right? Like when the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything, the all-victorious one, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, looks at you and says, I'm praying for you. That should encourage our hearts. That should give us courage to continue to not only walk through what we're walking through, but to continue to draw close to him. The finished work of the cross is something to be celebrated. But that ongoing work of Jesus continually, constantly making intercession on our behalf should be something that we celebrate. Anybody not sin in here this week? Oh, thank you. It wasn't a pause for dramatic effect, I promise. I, I appreciate it, though. Got the one with the theater background in here going, I feel like I should be doing something. <laughs> Any, did anyone not sin this week? Has, has anyone in here been saved longer than a year? Let me see your hands. Longer than a year. Okay, longer than 10 years. 20 years. 30 years. 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Here, we got, we got a few handfuls. 70 years? 70, okay, good. 80 years, going once. Okay, the couple hands that I saw, one of them was forced at 70 years. You've been saved longer than 70 years. Let me see your hands once again, please, just real quickly. Okay, you can put them back down there. Those of you who have been saved longer than 70 years, how'd that no sin thing go? I mean, y'all didn't expect me to pick on myself, did you? <laughs> the point is, we sin. We fall short of the glory of God. We don't get as close sometimes to that mirror as what we should be. And if salvation was static on either part for us or him, we'd be in bad shape. If he were not living to make intercession on our behalf, we've just proven that it really doesn't matter how long you've been saved, you still need a living God, a living Savior who is making intercession, serving as an advocate on your behalf. Because again, I would children that you should not sin but if you do sin but if you do sin praise god we've got an advocate with the father and his name is jesus christ so very quickly this morning i'm going to throw out three theological terms that kind of show us this dynamic salvation in play now i'm not going to drill down too far on them because a couple years ago we did a study in here called redeemer we covered each one of these with a, with a singular sermon, so I would encourage you guys to go back on our YouTube channel, go back on our website. It's on the playlist, Redeemer. 
but three theological terms that I want to present to you. And don't worry, I'm not just going to throw the theological terms out there and then not explain it. The first is justification. Justification. And what justification means is that through him, through Jesus, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Like that moment of response, that moment of surrender, that moment of confession and baptism, that, that moment of giving my heart and my life over to Jesus Christ, then I was saved from the penalty that sin, sin brings into my life. And what's the penalty of sin? Death. That's the wages. That's the payoff. That's what you get. The wages of sin are death. Praise God through Him, His blood, His sacrifice, His ascension, His ongoing advocacy. You and I sit here as sons and daughters of the King, saved from the penalty of death through Jesus Christ. Okay, moving on. Justification. The next one is sanctification. Sanctification. That means that through Him, we are being saved from the power of sin. Again, I reinforce, none of us are sinless. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Here's the problem that we have. We are a new creation. We've been totally remade. We've been totally redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we still have this nagging sin problem, do we not? Like we've got this thing. It's like Paul in Romans chapter 7. He's like, here's what I want to do. That thing that I know that I should do, I don't do. And the thing that I know that I shouldn't do is what I find myself doing. And we all fight this battle inside of us on some part. And this is that sanctifying presence of God that through us drawing closer to Him day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation, by unveiled faces, we're seeing in a mirror being transformed from glory to glory. From one level of God in our relationship with him to another. And if I'm going to put it in my Appalachia, I know I ain't what I should be, but praise God, I ain't what I used to be. Right? That's good news. It's like, listen, I'm so far off to what I know God wants me to be and what I need to be, but you know what? I'm not what I was. I ain't what I should be, but praise God, I ain't what I used to be. So we are living in a moment of being, and this, the moment being our lives, being saved from the power of sin. And then the third theological term is glorification. Through Him, we will be saved from the presence of sin. It's like we've got this new nature so 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that, that we're a new creation, a new creature, new nature. So in Him, our nature is to no longer sin. 
That doesn't mean that the capacity of sinning has been removed from us. And that's the problem. It's like we no longer have the sin nature because we've been made new, but this sin problem is still like a fly that's buzzing around us that we still have the capability to sin. But my brothers and sisters, one day, when we get there and when we see him face to face and we have that new glorified body, then we will be saved from the presence of sin. We've been saved by the penalty. We're being saved from the, from the power, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. In that, Oh, what a day that will be. Amen? I mean, does this excite anybody? Okay, if I see you in this upcoming sports season, if I see you get excited about a football game, I'm going to look at you and go, sinner! <laughs> Probably. Well, I might. I might. I might do that. But again, I mean, if this concept doesn't bless your socks off, get your blesser calibrated, please. I don't know how you do that. But get it done. God has saved us. Christ is able to save us from the penalty of sin. He is able to save us from the power of sin. And praise God, when we cross over into that land where we will spend eternity to him, we will forever be saved from the presence of sin. What a day that will be. So what, what beyond this does that mean to you all in here this morning? What does that mean to us? Well, first, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you something. I want to speak directly to you. I'm not going to make you hold up your hand. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you do anything. But here, I want to talk directly to you if you're here and you don't know Jesus. I want to address something in your life. You will never feel like you're ready. You will never feel like you're good enough. And if there's something that's happened in your past that you feel like disqualifies you, I want you to recognize that that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. If you feel like there's something that's ongoing in your life, maybe you're struggling with an ongoing habitual sin, if you feel like that disqualifies you, that's another lie straight from the pit of hell. I don't care how vile, how wicked, how wretched it may be. I don't care how much you've been judged, had, your hand, had people's hands washed against you from your peers, from your friends, from your family because of what you're doing. Jesus Christ does not do that. They may have taken you and written you off and said you've gone beyond hope, but praise God we serve a Savior that it's impossible to get beyond his hope. So this morning, there's an opportunity for you to be saved from the penalty of the sin in your life. Now maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a while. But maybe you're standing way far back from that mirror because whenever you start getting close to God, whenever you feel like you're making your, you know, like progress in your relationship with Him, it's like, I've got this going on in my heart. I've got this going on in my life. I've been dealing with this. And then we get to a place that's like, huh, praise God, I've been working on that. I think I've actually, I think it's gotten there. I think I've actually gotten the victory over it. And then what happens? It comes back up, right? 
I've used the dandelions as an example of this before. And thank you, everyone, who every spring finds it a necessity to send me dandelion pictures. I'm not going to look at them, but some, even from Alaska, send me dandelion pictures. It's one of those things that you think you get rid of, and maybe you do for just a little bit, but then it creeps back in. So maybe you're here, you've given your heart to Jesus, you've responded to him, but you're disqualifying yourself because of the weight of sin that so easily besets you. Understand that Jesus, in his dynamic salvific grace, has died for your sins, past, present, and future. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. For who? Those who draw near to Him. What step do you need to take here today to draw near? What what do you need to arrive at? What place do you need to kind of settle into to say that whether I'm saved or I have yet to take that step, I know that there is a gap, there's a chasm in between me and my relationship right now. Number one, I want you to stop giving power to that in your own mind. I want you to quit thinking that that is what your destiny is and that you are bound to suffer in that. Sometimes, one of the first steps in drawing nearer to God is taking a step of faith out of where you're seated. 